Well, would you take your Bibles, your electronic devices, the Pew Bible in in front of you, and join me in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. This morning, we continue with our series of going through the Sermon on the Mount that we started last week. Last week, we looked at the Beatitudes, eight Beatitudes, with the first And the last, there was a present promise given to us that to us is the kingdom of heaven. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Along with those two present promises, two present realities, They sandwich six promises, future promises that are true for us that will ultimately be fulfilled when Jesus comes and rules and reigns on the earth. Now we noted last week that there's two different groups that Jesus is talking to. Look back in Matthew chapter 5 verse 1. He says, seeing the crowds... So he's addressing the crowds, and at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in John chapter 7, it will reference the crowds again. But it also tells us in verse 1, at the very end, that his disciples came to him. So as Jesus is teaching, he is teaching to his disciples the followers of his. And he's talking about the blessings that are theirs because they are followers of his. But he is also presenting to the crowd, this can be yours as well, if you will be my disciple and follow me. So immediately after the Beatitudes, we're going to be jumping in here on verse 13. So follow along with me, beginning with verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think, I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, Until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, 
unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. May God bless the reading of his word. This morning, we are going to see in the passage the role of disciples, the role of those who are committed to following the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at this passage through four different words. The first word is salt. Look at it in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. Jesus doesn't say you should be the salt of the earth. He says you are the salt of the earth. So if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, would you say with me this morning, I am the salt of the earth? Would you say it together? Let's say it together. I am the salt of the earth. You know, I always feel a little uncomfortable saying that. You know, that saying that and saying I am the light of the earth, uh, there's just something, you know, that I want to shrink away from saying that. But Jesus said it about us. He didn't say that we should strive to become. He said that as his followers, we are the salt of the earth. Now, salt has a long history in our world, and even in, our, in the Bible. There are 30, over 30 references to salt in the Bible. Some of it is, is used, it's used in judges to, to destroying a field. Salt was used in covenant making. Uh, Lot's wife looked back and she became what? A pillar of salt. When Elijah sweetened the waters at Jericho, he cast salt as a purifying powder into the waters. All the sacrifices, the burnt sacrifices that were offered with, to God were treated with salt. Newborn babies when they were born, we're told in Ezekiel, were rubbed down with salt. It was used as an antiseptic. If you had a cavity and it was giving you pain, they would take a grain of salt and put it on the cavity. Salt is used to flavor things. Do you like salt on your food? And I hated it when my doctor told me I needed to reduce the salt that I was eating. Uh, I wish I could report to you I've been faithful in doing that. <laughs> but have you, you ever tried to eat a real nice steak that has no salt on it? Oh. So we take the salt to flavor uh, the meat. Salt provides flavoring. Salt is also a preservative. It preserves things. In biblical days, they didn't have refrigeration like we have today. So it was rare that they would really have a meal with fresh meat. But when they did have a meal with fresh meat, they had to take the rest of the meat and treat it with salt so that it would not spoil. They also treated fish with salt to preserve them. I learned that salt was used as a form of currency. Uh, Roman soldiers would often be paid with salt. There are actually wars that have been fought 
over salt. Salt was also used to buy slaves. Have you heard the expression, he's not worth his salt? That comes from the fact of someone who bought a slave and the slave was not as productive as they had intended him to be. In the ancient world, salt was so highly valued that the Greeks even referred to salt as being divine. Now, the main image or picture that Jesus is giving us here of the fact that we are the salt of the earth is we are to preserve against decay. As Christians... We are to live in such a way that the culture will see us as being very different than they are. Remember we talked last week about the Beatitudes, that in each of the Beatitudes it reveals the character of what a follower of Christ is to be like. So you are the salt of the earth. But then notice what Jesus says. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Now it's interesting as I studied this, I found that salt doesn't normally lose its taste. The saltiness remains in the salt itself. Sodium chloride is a very strong and stable element. So what does Jesus mean when he says, if the salt has lost its saltiness? The way that salt loses its saltiness is when it's mixed with other minerals. When there are other things that mix in with the salt. And they had a perfect example of that because close by was the Dead Sea. And the salt from the Dead Sea was worthless in those days because there were so so many other minerals mixed in with it. As I thought about that, I was challenged this week from the standpoint of wondering, what have I mixed into my life that would cause my testimony to lose its saltiness. See, we're still the salt of the earth. Jesus said that we are as his disciples. But we can lose our flavor. We can lose our preserving value if we have so many worldly things mixed in to our lives. And Jesus says, if the salt has lost its saltiness, how shall it be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown underfoot and trampled. What an image of what happens when we as the followers of Christ have so many other things come into our lives that we lose our saltiness. The second word that I want you to see this morning is light. Light. Notice in verse 14, 
you are the light of the world. Once again, not you shall become the light. As Christians, you are the light of the world. So once again, can we say this together? I am the light of the world. Say it. I am the light of the world. Now, I really feel uncomfortable saying that. But I think there's a, a beautiful picture here in that in and of ourselves, we don't have any light. The light comes from Jesus who proclaimed he was the light of the world. And in our lives, we are to be pure reflections of Jesus. It's not our own light. It's his light that shines through us, and we are to reflect it into the world. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. If you have a city up on a hill, you're driving along, you can see the city coming, right? It cannot be hidden because of its light. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. When you light a light, you want it to do what? Light up the room. You know, I hate it today with all these new low wattage bulbs that they put in fixture, and we turn it on, I can't see anything. Well, part of that may be I need cataract surgery, but aside from that, I want lots of light. I want to be able to see. And in those days, as they would light their oil lamps, you don't write, light it and then take a basket and put it on the top of the light. You just defeated the purpose of lighting the light. And we as Christians are not to cover up our lights. We are to shine into the world, reflecting the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. The salt speaks of our inward character. The light speaks of our outward testimony. And notice Jesus said, in the same way, verse 16, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Now it's interesting that there are two different words that are used for good in the Greek language. The one defines something that is good in quality. But the second word, and the second word is the word that is used here, refers to something that is not only good, but also is winsome, beautiful, and attractive. They should see our good works that are beautiful, attractive, and winsome. See, we can shine with, for Jesus and not be obnoxious. We can shine for Jesus in such a way that people want to be around us as people of faith. We don't darken the light. We let it shine. And Jesus is saying that's how his followers should be. That people of the world would see us as followers of Christ and note there's something different about 
those individuals. You are the light of the world. As Christians, we should be different in our character. We should be known as people of honesty. We should be known as people who have a biblical morality. We should be known as those who help others as we do these good works. We let our light shine in our culture. Or we can decide to hide it and take a basket of some sort and put it over it and say, ah, I really don't want to say anything. I really don't want to do anything that would cause anyone not to really like me. I don't want to do anything that might speak to a difference in what the culture embraces. We can speak the truth in love and let our lights shine. The third word I want us to notice in the passage is the law. The law. Verse 17, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Now, the word law in those days was used in four different ways. First of all, the law was used to refer to the Ten Commandments. It's called the law, the Ten Commandments. Secondly, the term law was used to refer to the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy sometimes be referred to as the law. A third way the term was used, Jesus is using it here when he speaks of the law and the prophets, which would refer to all of the Old Testament. That was a terminology that was used to sum up everything in the Old Testament would be the law and the prophets. Now, a fourth way that the word the law would be used would be the oral law or the law of the scribes and the Pharisees, their rules and their regulations. Now, how did that come about? Well, the Pharisees and the scribes, they wanted to obey the Scriptures, so they would come up with their own laws. Just for example, on the Sabbath day, you were to rest and not work. So they would determine what does work look like, what does work mean. So you cannot bear a burden, carry a burden about on the Sabbath day. Well, what's a burden? How much does a bourbon, bur, bourbon, not a bourbon, <laughs> how much does a burden weigh? Don't be carrying the bourbon around. Let's talk about the burden. <laughs> I wish this wasn't, uh, you know, a live stream where I'd have that cut out. <laughs> the pastor's talking about carrying bourbon around on Sunday morning. Reminds me of a story, but I won't tell it. <laughs> So you're not to carry a burden. Well, how much does a burden weigh? Well, they determined it was the weight of a fig. If you carried anything over the weight of a fig, you're carrying a burden. So therefore, you had broken the Sabbath. Or maybe you want to write. Well, how much ink can you carry? 
they determined enough to make two letters. How much can the reed weigh that you use to write with? They determined what that could weigh. So this was the term law that was understood, the oral law, the law of the Pharisees that they added to the Word of God. Now, we know Jesus didn't mean that because Jesus broke that all the time, right? What the Pharisees and the scribes said, uh, that's why they were always in such an uproar because Jesus didn't even try to keep their rules and regulations. Believe what Jesus is speaking to here is all of the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. And he says, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. No, he didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. Now, why might people think that Jesus came to abolish the law? It would be because of all the battles he would have with the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day over their laws. Jesus perfectly kept the law of the Old Testament. But he did not keep the rules and regulations of the Pharisees. So Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And there's different times throughout the Gospels that it talks about Jesus fulfilling the law. Actually, Matthew uses the word for fulfill 17 times. 15 of those 17 times, he's referring to Jesus. When Jesus went to be baptized by John the Baptist, and John didn't want him to baptize him, Jesus said it was necessary to fulfill all righteousness. When the disciples were going to rescue Jesus from uh, those who came into the garden, the soldiers, to take him away, Jesus said, uh, stopped them and said, how could the scriptures be fulfilled? This must happen. So Jesus fulfilled, completed all that was required of him in the Old Testament. And you also will remember after he arose from the dead, and he was walking with the two on the Emmaus Road. How he opened the scriptures. Uh, I would say that's the greatest sermon never recorded for us. If I get to heaven, I want to hear that sermon from Jesus. Of how he perfectly fulfilled all that was in the Old Testament. And he shared that, that it was necessary for him to fulfill it, and he had fulfilled. Jesus didn't come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. And he says to you, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Jesus didn't come to destroy it. He came to fulfill it. A jot and a tittle refer to a, a, a small Hebrew letter and a small part of a Hebrew letter. And Jesus is saying that they will not pass away. You know, sometimes there's a battle going on even in our churches today over law and grace. That some have even become anti-law of the Old Testament. But the law of the Old Testament has a purpose. It shows us that we are sinners that need to be saved, and they point us to our Savior. 
And I think what Jesus is making very clear here is the standards of God do not change. Our culture may change, but the standards of God do not change. There was a bishop in England that not too long ago preached a message to his congregation and told them that in some cases shoplifting was okay. He says, if you are stealing from a large department store, it's okay for you to do so because after all, they're taking advantage of people and they have too many profits anyway, so it's not a sin to steal from a great big department store. Now, it would be a sin, he went on to say, if you stole from a a small store that was owned just by a family. Changing the standard. My friends, thou shalt not steal means you shall not steal. I mean, we see in our culture today, it's wrong to murder someone. But many people accept murder of the child in the womb as being acceptable. You shall not murder. We see today, it's wrong to damage other people's property Unless, of course, you are protesting against something that you don't like, and then it's okay to destroy other people's property. It's still wrong. It's still sinful. We've come to the point today where we have those who will justify sex outside of marriage and say it's okay because after all, and then fill in the blanks. Not too long ago, right here in the aisles of this church, a woman confronted me saying to me that her adultery was okay in God's eyes because they loved one another. He no longer loves his wife, so we are not doing anything wrong when we are having sex together because after all, we are going to get married. What? I'll just let you imagine what I said to her. Recently, someone who grew up in this church has made the the statement, it was okay for her to have sex with the guy she was going to marry before they got married. Because after all, they're going to get married. And after all, they prayed together. So in God's sight, they're already married, and it's okay with what they want to do. Listen to what Jesus says here. Verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever relaxes, it means to loosen. It means to make null and void. Whoever does that, Jesus said, is least in the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on and says this. 
but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. The law. God's law doesn't change, but Jesus came and fulfilled it and made a way for those of us that the law points out to us that we are sinners, that we can be saved. Quickly, I need to move on. Righteousness. Righteousness. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now we think of that, well, that would be easy because Jesus had a lot of words condemning the Pharisees. But no, the Pharisees of that day were regarded as the most religious people in all of Israel. And so for Jesus to say, you have to exceed their righteousness, people would say, how can we do that? Later in the sermon, Jesus will say, you must be perfect. How can you be perfect? Well, there's only one way, and that's through putting your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Denying yourself and following. As we finish up this morning, I want to take us back to that image of salt. John A. Huffman has written something that I think is just really great. Listen to what he wrote. The church auditorium can be a salt shaker. You come in here once a week, have a lot of fellowship with all the other salt, and think your job job is accomplished. Instead, God wants to pick up this gathering of the church and shake it out all over the city. He has brought us together as salt only to scatter us. He wants us to have influence for Jesus. You are the salt of the earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord for all that you have done for us by going to the cross to save us. Help us that we might be your disciples by following you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.